Chapter Three of the Inevitable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlech. The Inevitable by Louis Capurus, translated by Alexander Texiera de Matos. THE INEVITABLE CHAPTER THREE At dinner there was a buzz of voices. The three or four long tables were all full. The Marchesa sat at the head of the center table. Now and then she beckoned impatiently to Giuseppe, the old major-domo, who had dropped a spoon at an archducal court, and the unfledged little waiters rushed about breathlessly. Cornelie found the obliging stout gentleman, whom the German ladies called Mr. Rudyard, sitting opposite her and her fiasco of Genzano beside her plate. She thanked Mr. Rudyard with a smile and made the usual remarks, how she had been for a drive that afternoon and had made her first acquaintance with Rome, the Forum, the Pincio. She talked to the German ladies and to the English one, who was always so tired with her sight-seeing, and the Germans, a baronin and the baroness, her daughter, laughed with her at the two aesthetes whom Cornelie had come upon that morning in the drawing-room. The two were sitting some distance away, lank and angular, grimy-haired, in curiously cut evening dress, which showed the breast and arms warmly covered with a jager undervest, on which in their turn lay large strings of large blue beads. Their eyes browsed over the long table, as though they were pitying everybody who had come to Rome to learn about art, because they too alone knew what art was. While eating, which they did unpleasantly, almost with their fingers, they read aesthetic books, wrinkling their brows and now and then looking up angrily, because the people about them were talking. With their self-conceit, their impossible manners, their worse than tasteless dress, and their great air of superiority, they represented types of travelling Englishwoman that are never met except in Italy. They were unanimously criticised at the table. They came to the Pension Belloni every winter, and made drawings in watercolours in the Forum or the Via Appia, and they were so remarkable in their unprecedented originality, in their grimy angularity, with their evening dresses, their Jaegers, their string of blue beads, their aesthetic books, and their meat-picking fingers, that all eyes were constantly wandering in their direction, as though under the influence of a Medusa spell. The young Baroness, a type out of the Flegenti blader, witty and quick, with her little round German face and arched penciled eyebrows, was laughing with Cornelie and showing her a thumbnail caricature which she had made of the two aesthetic ladies in her sketchbook. When Giuseppe conducted a young lady to the end of the table where Cornelie and Rudyard sat opposite each other, she had evidently just arrived, 
said evening to everybody near her and sat down with a great rustling it was at once apparent that she was an american almost too good-looking too young to be travelling alone like that with a smiling self-possession as if she were at home a very white complexion very fine dark eyes teeth like a dentist's advertisement her full breast moulded in mauve cloth plentifully decorated with silver braid on her heavily waved hair a large mauve hat with a cascade of black ostrich feathers fastened by an over-large paste-buckle at every movement the silk of her petticoat rustled the feathers nodded the paste-buckle gleamed and notwithstanding all this showiness she was a childlike she was perhaps just twenty with an ingenuous expression in her eyes she at once spoke to cornelie to rudyard said that she was tired that she had come from naples that she had been dancing last night at prince sibo's that her name was miss urania hope that her father lived in chicago that she had two brothers who in spite of her fa father's money were working on a farm in the far west but that she had been brought up as a spoiled child by her father who however wanted her to be able to stand on her own feet and was therefore making her travel by herself in the old world in dear old italy she was delighted to hear that cornelie was also travelling alone and rudyard chafed the ladies about their modern views but the baronin and the baroness applauded them miss hope at once took a liking to her dutch fellow-traveller and wanted to arrange joint excursions but cornelie withdrawing into herself made a tactful excuse saying that her time was fully engaged and that she wanted to study in the museums so serious asked miss hope respectfully and the petticoat rustled the plumes nodded the paste buckle gleamed she made on cornelie the impression of a gaudy butterfly which sportive and unthinking might easily one day dash itself to pieces against the hot-house windows of a cabined existence she felt no attraction towards this strange pretty little creature who looked like a child and a cocotte in one but she felt sorry for her she did not know why after dinner rudyard proposed to take the two german ladies for a little walk the younger baroness came to cornelie and asked if she would come too to see rome by moonlight quite close from the villa medici she felt grateful for the kindly suggestion and was just going to put on her hat when miss hope ran after her stay and sit with me in the drawing-room i am going for a walk with the baronin cornelie replied that german lady yes is she a noble woman i presume so are there many titled people in the house asked miss hope eagerly cornelie laughed i don't know i only arrived this morning i believe there are i heard that there were many titled people here are you one i was cornelie laughed but i had to give up my title what a shame miss hope exclaimed i love titles 
Do you know what I've got? An album with a coat of arms of all sorts of families and another album with patterns of silk and brocade from each of the Queen of Italy's ball dresses. Would you care to see it? Very much indeed, Cornelia laughed, but I must put on my hat now. She went and returned in a hat and cloak. The German ladies and Rudyard were waiting in the hall and asked what she was laughing at. She caused great merriment by telling them about the album with the patterns of the Queen's ball dresses. Who is he? she asked the Baronin as she walked in front with her along the Via Sistina while the Baroness and Rudyard followed. She thought the Baronin a charming person, but she was surprised to find, in this German woman who belonged to the titled military class, a coldly cynical view of life, which was not exactly that of her Berlin environment. I don't know, the Baronin answered with an air of indifference. We travel a great deal. We have no house in Berlin at present. We want to make the most of our stay abroad. Mr. Rudyard is very pleasant. He helps us in all sorts of ways. Tickets for a papal mass introductions here invitations there he seems to have plenty of influence what do i care who or what he is elsie agrees with me i accept what he gives us and for the rest i don't try to fathom him they walked on the baron and took cornelie's arm my dear child don't think us more cynical than we are i hardly know you but I've felt somehow drawn towards you. Strange, isn't it, when one's abroad like this and has one's first talk at a table d'hote over a skinny chicken? Don't think us shabby or cynical. Oh, dear, perhaps we are. Our cosmopolitan, irresponsible, unsettled life makes us ungenerous, cynical, and selfish. Very selfish. Rudyard shows us many kindnesses. Why should I not accept them? I don't care who or what he is. I am not committing myself in any way. Cornelie looked round involuntarily. In the nearly dark street she saw Rudyard and the young Baronessie, almost whispering and mysteriously intimate. And does your daughter think so too? Oh, yes. We are not committing ourselves in any way. We do not even particularly like him, with his pock-marked face and his dirty fingernails. We merely accept his introductions. Do as we do, or don't. Perhaps it would be better form if you don't. I, I have become a great egotist through traveling. What do I care? The dark street seemed to invite confidences and Cornelie, to some extent, understood this cynical indifference, particularly in a woman reared in narrow principles of duty and morality. It was certainly not good form, but was it not weariness brought about by the wear and tear of life? In any case, she vaguely understood it, that tone of indifference, that careless shrugging of the shoulders. They turned the corner of the Hotel Massier and approached the Villa Medici. 
The full moon was pouring down its flood of white radiance, and Rome lay in the flawless blue glamour of the night. Overflowing the brimming basin of the fountain beneath the black ilexes, whose leafage held the picture of Rome in an ebony frame, the wastewater splashed and clattered. Rome must be very beautiful, said Cornelie softly. Rudyard and the Baronessi had come nearer and heard what she said. Rome is beautiful, he said earnestly, and Rome is more. Rome is a great consolation to many people. His words, spoken in the blue moonlit night, impressed her. The city seemed to lie in mystical billows at her feet. She looked at him as he stood before her in his black coat, showing but little linen, the same stout, civil gentleman. His voice was very penetrating, with a rich note of conviction in it. She looked at him long, uncertain of herself, and vaguely conscious of an approaching intimation, but still antipathetic. Then he added, as though he did not wish her to meditate too deeply the words which he had uttered, a great consolation to many, because beauty consoles. And she thought his last words an aesthetic commonplace, but he had meant her to think so. End of chapter 3